You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, May 18th, 2020. Later in the program, I talk to John Hamilton, mayor of Bloomington, in our recurring segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. I think it's too early to know the impact of the opening. We are going to be watching that very carefully. Also coming up in the next half hour, restaurants in Bloomington are beginning to reopen. I talked to Chris Martin, who owns a string of restaurants in Bloomington, including Yogi's. For us, it's it's more about, you know, and intensifying the effort and uh, making sure we're clean and safe. But first, your local headlines. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton said City Hall will open up to the public on May 26th during a COVID-19 press conference on May 15th. He said any resurgence would not be noticeable until two weeks after reopening. Well, I'm concerned that it will take more than two weeks past May 31st for us to know whether this first round of modifications, which I support, have caused any surge or backsliding. What we now, here's, here's the bottom line, too. What we do as a community will determine how we go forward, how we behave, how we do in terms of physical distancing and masking and protecting each other and our families will determine our future path. Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Caudell said any reopening businesses must have a posted prevention plan. She said businesses could require face coverings for both employees and customers. Hamilton said the next round of COVID-19 prevalence testing will begin in June. President of Indiana University Health Brian Shockney said antibody testing is not reliable. There's still no uh, scientific consensus on the effectiveness of any kind of antibody testing. And so we're hearing stories of people who are buying those tests from overseas and you know they're 20% effective at best. And then you get a false sense of security and then the virus ends up spreading. Um, so we don't know what it means to have immunity at this point because this virus is so new. And so we just ask that you uh, have patience, um, know that uh, we as a, as a as a world, as the world, as well as the healthcare nation, um, know how to do these things, but it's going to take some time for us to develop this testing and be able to have specificity in this testing as well. Caudell said if local testing can't be found, other Indiana counties with drive through and Optum Clinic testing sites can test Monroe County residents. And on the state website, there is a testing page, shows you what testing sites are available when they're open, what their requirements are, and you can utilize those. You, you have to be an Indiana resident uh, for the state sites, but you don't have to be a county resident for wherever that's occurring. Caudell said the Optum Testing Center is not open. She said location issues pushed back the opening date and can expect to be running sometime this week. She said any patients with scheduled appointments should be contacted to reschedule, and appointments can still be made. Requirements, the restrictions or the criteria for testing is 
looser than it has been. And so there's not a lot of restrictions, to be honest. Um, so it just kind of takes you through that. You have to register and then you it gives you the available appointment times and you can schedule those. I just caution people um, about doing it too early because we've ran into these problems and, um, you know, it's just unforeseen circumstances and um, the new site needed to put some safety things in place and um, set up so that everybody being tested and the whole and the staff and everything would would flow well. Um, so we didn't anticipate that. And um, that's what caused the delay. But people can certainly call or they can call, but they should go on the website to make an appointment. That's the best way to do it. The county health department encouraged the community to take the COVID-19 prevention pledge on the Monroe County Health Department's website. By signing the pledge, you agree to maintain six feet of social distance, wash hands often, wear a face mask in public or if you are sick, and to get tested if any symptoms are present. Up next, WFHB news correspondent Alex Dieterer provides a report on unemployment in Indiana. For more on the story, we turn to Alex Dieterer. Since the coronavirus struck Indiana, nearly 300,000 Hoosiers have filed unemployment claims, with $1.4 billion in benefits paid out to claimants through the Indiana Department of Workforce Development. Commissioner of the Department Fred Payne reported Friday that the state had paid $400 million in addition to the $1 billion the federal government paid Indiana residents since March. According to the Herald Times, Payne said, quote, We're trending in the right direction here, but we know that is not deep enough for every single Hoosier who has filed for unemployment benefits. But we will get there, and each and every Hoosier who is eligible will receive those benefits. End quote. A voucher for unemployment insurance benefits includes information about hours worked and it must be filed each week. Payne's department reported almost 377,000 vouchers on average during the first four weeks in April. Averaging the four weeks, the department reported that 86% of the claims were resolved, equating to nearly 1 in 10 applicants not receiving benefits. Payne stated the department started paying those claims May 8th. 60,000 of the 68,000 applicants had received benefits, claiming his department staff has gone from resolving 6,800 issues a week to 27,000. The department states the claims were resolved within 21 days on average. Some unemployment claims take longer than 21 days to process due to issues revolving around deductible income, whether someone was a full or part-time employee, or if the person voluntarily quit. The department claims the average state benefit paid during April was $272.72, compared to the previous reported average benefit of $300. The federal stimulus package grants an additional $600 on of state benefits, which max out at $390 per week. The Indiana Chamber of Commerce approached the state to enact work-share legislation, which are programs where employees with reduced hours, rather than be laid off, qualify for partial unemployment compensation if their employers have an established agreement with the state. In the news release, the chamber stated, quote, 28 states today have successful work-share programs. Workers in those states are able to receive the partial unemployment benefits and $600 per week in extra federal support, end quote. The number of weekly initial unemployment claims continues to fall, dropping to under 31,000 the week of May 9th. This is down from more than 139,000 claims during the peak in March. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer. 
The City of Bloomington Board of Public Works approved a change order to the Sayre Road right-of-way clearing project during their May 12th meeting. Project manager Russell White said workers encountered additional tree clearage. This uh, tree clearing along South Sayre Road from approximately College Mall Road to Buttonwood Lane was to clear uh, vegetation on the west side of the road in preparation for a multi-use path to go in. As detailed in Mr. Schonkweiler's memo, this change order is due to Monroe LLC working extra days with a five-man crew and uh, trying to, and that had to be done to remove a 100-foot tall oak tree that was not originally noted on the plans. And uh, there was some confusion as to the way the plans were designed, there was trees that were called out specifically to be reloaded or be removed. And there were some yellowed out areas that called about removal, but there were trees in there that the contractor was confused whether the trees inside the yellow area were removed since they weren't highlighted as such. White said a large specialized crane is required to remove the large tree and to prevent any street damage. He said removal would cost an approximately additional $6,400. Board member Donna Palazzo said the change order is within the public works law at the cost of 20% of the original contract. Saturday morning, Monroe County's stay-at-home order expired. That led the way for Bloomington restaurants to reopen at 50% capacity. Relatively crowded house parties were reported in downtown Bloomington. It was reported in local news media across the street from the Princess Theater. The words, stay the F home, were projected onto a wall. Some restaurants, such as the Irish Lion, opted out of reopening on Saturday. Other restaurants, such as Brothers Bar and Grill, reached full capacity on reopening night. Restaurant owners are required to monitor occupancy limits and social distancing guidelines. One local restaurant that reopened Saturday was Yogi's, which has been a Bloomington staple since 1992. Coming up later, I talked to the owner, Chris Martin, about reopening amid the COVID-19 pandemic. The Monroe County Solid Waste Management District discussed recycling center reopening during their May 14th meeting. Board member Cheryl Munson said face masks would not be required for customers, but highly suggested. They put up signs that are well, um, nicely printed, uh, not, not hand lettered, and it is a request. It is not mandatory, and we're not asking our uh, employees to enforce anything in that regard. The only enforcement is limiting the number of of vehicles that can come in uh, to the recycling area. Munson said restricting the number of cars is to maintain social distancing. After deliberation, board members decided to open recycling facilities Mondays and Wednesdays through Saturdays. However, the South Walnut location will be closed on Mondays. Executive Director Tom McGlasson said the new operating schedule will take place on Monday, May 18th. I talked to Chris Martin, Director of Operations for Finney Hospitality, which owns The Tap, Smokeworks, Social Cantina, and Yogi's in Bloomington. We talk specifically about reopening at Yogi's. Here is that interview. Okay, Chris, first off, how has COVID-19 impacted your restaurant in general? Numerous ways. We, we own four restaurants here in Bloomington and one in Indianapolis. And, you know, they forced us to you know, 10 weeks ago, do something that we really had never done a lot of, which was delivery and carry out. 
and uh, significantly impacted, you know, sales volume, uh, furloughing 90% of our staff and, and, uh, you know, just kind of working through that. Although at the end of the 10 weeks, we were pretty good and pretty busy and, you know, sort of surviving. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, um, <clears throat> coming out of it, uh, we're able to open uh, Saturday to, uh, you know, 50% capacity inside our dining rooms and patios here in Bloomington and, uh, had a really strong Saturday and Sunday from a sales perspective, but, uh, continue to struggle, you know, with some, some of the other parts of our business, uh, specifically staff and, uh, product, uh, experiencing a lot of, uh, struggles getting the, the product we need to sell. So how do you feel about, uh, the reopening measures in Monroe County? Uh, <clears throat> really good. I mean, I think, for us personally, we've stayed really uh, sort of close to, to what's going on out there and, and making sure that we were personally on our own up to date with, you know, what uh, the Indiana Restaurant Lodging Association was recommending and the, you know, the, the National Restaurant Association, as well as, you know, the bigger entities that sort of oversee everybody, CDC and OSHA and things like that. But personally, I think, you know, if, if you were in a restaurant and not already doing a significant amount of what was required uh, for us to reopen and you, you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. So uh, for us, it's, it's more about, you know, and intensifying the effort and uh, making sure we're clean and safe. And, um, you know, and then just adding on that, that health check piece to the, the team and wearing masks is probably the biggest, you know, kind of thing to get used to. But to be honest with you, for the most part, it, uh, you know, once you got through half of Saturday, we were, we were in the swing of it and, uh, I think we did a pretty good job. Kind of going back to reopening measures, how do you enforce social distancing and restaurant occupancy limits? What have you been doing to ensure, you know, you're at 50% capacity and, you know, for us, it's, it's a combination of things. I mean, we, we literally got out in our restaurants and got measuring tapes and made sure every table was, you know, six feet from the next table. And so we spread out our dining rooms uh, as much as we possibly can, which has certainly meant that we've had to remove physical tables and chairs and, and all of our dining rooms. But I think, uh, you know, really it's just, it's just that process. And then, you know, we we managed specifically Saturday when we were really busy. We just managed the door and uh, made sure that, uh, you know, seating was happening appropriately and that, uh, you know, just communicating to the guest. And to be honest with you, I would say 95% or more of the guests were very prepared for what they were going to walk into. So um, I think it's the combination of, of us doing what we were asking and the guests sort of being educated on, on what we were going to ask them to do. Well, that was my next question too. And it's, it's nice to see like accommodating guests because I was going to ask you, have customers generally followed social distancing guidelines or, or CDC recommended practices? And that can make it tough on you as a business owner, but you, you're saying they generally have. Yeah. I, you know, very little pushback, a little, you know, some questioning of, of, of some things and, and whatnot, but, uh, you know, probably the biggest thing is the, the size of the party. Um, you know, if somebody had seven as opposed to six and they were all family members and things like that, you know, people not <clears throat> really understanding why you know, that rule is going to be enforced, but 
you know, we've specifically uh, set our dining rooms up so that we don't have tables uh, with more than six seats and uh, to kind of make it hard to, to create a table with more than six seats. So that, that helped us kind of overcome that pushback. But otherwise, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't think we had, uh, but maybe just a handful of issues where we really had to work with the guests to, to, to make it work for them and us. And uh, I think it will get harder uh, as time goes and people get even more comfortable and, uh, and, and out. And, uh, you know, I think people will push it. But, you know, we've got basically what I would call a month of this phase that we're in now. I think it'll 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 go by pretty quick, and, and hopefully then we get into that second stage, so we can have a little bit more occupancy, and and you know that will uh, that will evolve, and a month later, you know, hopefully things continue to go well, we'll be pretty much back to normal. Now, I wanted to ask you, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to ask you what opening day was like for you as a business owner. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we had a great opening day Saturday, and uh, really. Pretty, cons- pretty, pretty consistent, uh, pretty steady all day long. Uh, certainly all of our restaurants have patios, which they were very popular on Saturday. Um, and I, you know, definitely foresee that being a continuing thing as long as it's warm enough and not raining outside that our patios see a lot of volume. Um, but I mean, we were uh, <clears throat> very very happy with results on Saturday, both, you know, kind of the sales we did as well as how it went. And, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this weekend is even busier though, with, uh, people letting everybody, you know, try it out. And then, you know, hopefully the weather continues to get, uh, to get better as well. Well, Chris, the last question I have for you is what does the future hold for your local business? Uh, I think the future's good. I, I think, uh, there's still a lot of unknowns and there's still a lot of variables to figure out and you know, everybody needs to stay uh, smart and healthy, but for us, we're, we're still very, very optimistic about, uh, you know, the short term and long term of our business. I think the one variable for us certainly in Bloomington and West Lafayette will be, you know, do the colleges come back uh, in this fall and that's, you know, we're just, we just don't know that yet, but, uh, based on what we know today, still very, very uh, positive, a very positive outlook. Up next, I talked to John Hamilton, mayor of Bloomington, in our reoccurring segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on A Few Minutes with the Mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. So the first question we have today is, um, restaurants and barbershops and salons are all beginning to open up this weekend, and so how is that going? Well, you're right. The county health department indicated it was appropriate to move us into essentially into stage two at the state level, which does allow uh, restaurants, not bars, but restaurants to open at 50% capacity. And so we saw that this weekend. I have to say, I didn't personally go out to any restaurants and 
I think there are a lot of us who are still careful and cautious and not wanting to do that. But I did see some parking lots active and some signs saying we're open and come in. You know, how we behave is going to determine what our next steps are. So I'm going to be encouraging people still to be careful and cautious. And uh, it's going to continue to physically distance and use masks and those kinds of things because we know the bug is still among us. Are we seeing any signs from either the health department or just restaurants not following these rules that this was too early to reopen? I think it's too early to know the impact of the opening we are going to be watching that very carefully. Um, one of the facts that was quite striking, Fairbanks Institute did a, what they call a prevalence test, where they actually reached out and randomly contacted a bunch of Hoosiers and got them tested uh, and found that about 2.8% of Indiana residents have been exposed to the disease. That means for every disease we've diagnosed, where we know somebody had the disease, there are actually 10 people who have not been diagnosed and almost half the people who've been sick had no symptoms so they may well not have even known they were sick so so that makes it really tricky to manage uh, and I am very concerned many health experts around the country are saying you got to be really careful that you don't move too fast so that I am going to be urging that we take it really carefully one step at a time um, it has been brought up at a city council meeting and then again at one of the COVID-19 press conferences that portions of streets possibly Kirkwood would be closed down for extra restaurant outdoor seating. Are there any plans to see this through? I think considering street closings is a really good idea. We've been talking about that. And absolutely, yes, there are plans being discussed about eliminating or reducing street traffic for various purposes. And uh, Kirkwood is definitely on the table. Uh, Kirkwood is being, uh, there's major construction going on to improve the intersections and ADA ramps and other things at Kirkwood. And when we're done with that, it, it should be actually easier to open and close to uh, to vehicle traffic. So I think it's a great idea to look at. There, I guess there's actually pretty good indications that outdoor seating is, is safer than indoor seating in terms of COVID spread. So it's the right time to look at that. And what is the city's contingency plan if the virus resurges, whether in a few weeks or a month or even a year, as we begin to reopen and see people outside again? We're going to be watching the health data regularly. Uh, I'm going to continue the meetings I have with health experts and county leaders several times a week to review the data. We are always ready to call a halt to any changes in protocols if we see things not moving forward. We're in fact ready to move backward. If we had to say, look, the restaurant opening, it appears to have caused some problems as we learn through contact tracing and other things. It's possible we'd have to move backwards uh, on restaurants and close them back up. All the experts tell us to expect uh, kind of ups and downs and a surge in the fall or in the winter again as flu season arrives again. All the experts say you got to be really careful that this disease doesn't increase. We've had good indications locally with declining hospitalizations, with declining incidence rates by those who do get tested. We're seeing those good indicators, but the health department sets those orders. I, I will note if for some reason the county and the health department have a different experience or different take than the city itself, the city itself may have authorities to do things if we need to uh, separately. I, I don't expect that and I think we've been working very well to coordinate all this, uh, but all the governmental jurisdictions are working closely to make sure we're protecting health first of all while we continue to try to uh, open up and increase opportunities for activities safely. Um, is the city working to 
reduce their spending during the pandemic? We are paying a lot of attention to the fiscal impacts of this. We're going to see some reduced revenues we already know in parking revenue, for example. We expect the gas tax revenue to go down, probably income tax receipts over time, property tax at the state level. Many of those uh, income tax and property tax receipts are are kind of flattened out and, and evened out through some income averaging and, and tax averaging that happens. But we know we're going to see some reductions, so we're absolutely trying to look at uh, ways we can save money. Now, I will also say I believe very strongly that government needs to play a counter-cyclical role when you have the private sector contracting and you have millions of people across the country and thousands of people in our community that are without work. One of the most important things government can do is try to be counter-cyclical to try to help the economy recover to try to help people have the food they need and to protect housing and those kinds of things. So we're actually, for example, we've accelerated some construction projects just to try to keep that activity going. It's actually a good time to do construction when there's less activity on the roads and that kind of thing, outdoor construction. So like the Kirkwood project, like 17th Street, we've tried to accelerate those, Sarah Road and others. Uh, and, and I believe we need to do the same in terms of economic investment to try to do all we can to accelerate the recovery recovery and to steer it in the right direction. So I think over the next couple months, you'll hear the city talking about how do we as a counter-cyclical force, as an as an anti-recessionary force, how do we do investments that make sense? Could you provide any examples of things that the city has found unnecessary to pay for? Well, there's a couple things. I'll give you a couple examples we're looking at. We actually, because of COVID, we did uh, change the apartment inspection program. We put a halt to that for a couple months. We've now restarted it, but we'll be looking at how we do apartment inspections. Uh, can we do them differently? Can we do them more efficiently? We've, we've upped the technology there. That's one one place in government where we've looked at that. Of course, we already invested a lot in our sanitation system to improve efficiency in the sanitation pickup. That's been happening over two or three years. A big one we're looking at now is the whole leafing program. That's a pretty expensive program that involves uh, sending uh, vacuum trucks all through our neighborhoods twice uh, to pick up leaves. It's not great for the environment. It is important in some ways for our water system to get those leaves out of the storm drain so that they don't block things up and cause flooding. But we're looking very hard at ways we can improve uh, or change how we do that big program. But most of the expenditures of the city are for personnel. And we've been very careful trying to make sure we protect our people and make them as efficient as we can and equip them better. But we've been in gradually increasing our police department uh, personnel. We've The fire department, uh, you know, we have minimum staffing requirements that are needed in each of those. We're running pretty basic services uh, with the personnel that we have. Uh, so there's not a lot of room to, uh, to, to make major changes with that without some pretty significant service disruptions that we are really focused on continuing to provide for the community that are so important. Does the city plan to still pay for the Convention Center expansion project out of the Food and Beverage Tax Fund, which is the same source of money that has been providing local businesses with these monetary loans? We're in, we're in conversations with the county as our partner in the Convention Center uh, project. It's clearly going to be delayed, uh, and the food and beverage revenues, which are the identified fundamental source to do the Convention Center expansion, have been 
significantly affected by the pandemic and the change as as well as hotel and, and bar and restaurant receipts. So we're definitely going to be taking a bit of a pause on that. And we, we actually, nobody knows exactly what the convention center business will be like six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. So we're going to have to be reviewing that. You know, Bloomington, a big part of our economy is people coming to town for lots of different reasons. I continue to believe a downtown convention center, assuming we continue to have some basic convention markets like we have had and like we will expect to see recover, that that's, that's a really important part of our downtown. The situation got more complicated uh, with COVID for sure. And we're going to have to take a pause, take a few breaths and, and look at the revenue side, look at the demand side. And I expect we'll be talking to the county and maybe making some announcements about that in the weeks ahead. Do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Sydney Foreman. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB programming online at wfhb.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 